Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Honest Tea Podcast, the show where we spill the tea on all of life's issues, and of course, we keep it honest. I'm your host, AJ, and on today's episode, we have a really, really special guest. It's actually funny. Uh, so this guest uh, and I, we had connected through LinkedIn, which is kind of a, a cool way to connect, but I had come across his story, and it was so impactful that I just had to reach out to him and and get him on. So really glad I got him on. Uh, so before I introduce him, I'm just going to give a little background on him, a little bit about who he is. So um, essentially, for longest time, he was, you know, just working just like we all do, and uh, quit his job that was not really bringing him fulfillment. And but it was a great paying job. But at the time, he had a family to support a wife and two kids. Uh, didn't really have a plan of what what to do or where to go uh, after quitting his job, and um, set you know eventually took a chance on himself and was able to create his own company from the ground up. And the company is called Nobia Sales. Uh, it's a company that essentially helps guide sales leaders and businesses in developing their skill set and creating just better sales people, salesmen, saleswomen um, to improve their businesses. So, um, I, and, I, and I really just loved his story and I'm gonna have him obviously talk more about it um, and just a little bit about his company. So his company to date has trained over 200 sales teams in nearly a hundred different industries. Um, has also received sponsors by the likes of companies such as Automated Logic, Truist, and LG. Um, and for his company, he also offers virtual in-person um, sales training as well. So I don't want to say a whole lot more. That's just a little bit of a, a background on him. But this is Mr. Walker McKay. Walker, welcome to the podcast. AJ, thank you so much for inviting me. I, it's a it's a big deal, and I really appreciate your inviting me to be on here. It's fun to connect with you on LinkedIn. I want to speak to your audience for a second. One thing that you guys can do, AJ's working his butt off to grow this podcast, and I know if you're listening now, you appreciate the stories. And what I'd ask you to do to help AJ, since my guess is you're listening for free, is go and leave a review for him. The more reviews he gets from listeners, don't just put stars, but write, great show, love to hear it, whatever. That will help him get better rankings on Apple and Spotify and other places where he has. So help AJ with that and help get this podcast out, spread around to more people who need to hear it. So thank you, AJ, so much for having me on the show. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Walker. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I, I'm so, I'm just so, honestly, I, you know, it's funny. I, uh, especially on social media, you know, you read all kinds of posts and all kinds of stories and. Uh, and when I read yours, I, and you know, sometimes you'll read a story and you may read a sentence and then just scroll to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. I didn't do that for yours. I read the whole thing and I, and I was like, I was, I was really putting myself in your position. Mm, bless how, your heart. Man, of how, <laughs> of how I could imagine, of like how it must have been to really take a chance on yourself and to especially when everyone is telling you, don't do this. Why are you doing this? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. The other way. Um, I, I'd like to really start from the beginning uh, for you. So first, 
uh, if you could tell us just a little bit about who you are, sure. uh, where you grew up. like Yeah, I grew up in the metropolis of uh, Columbia, South Carolina, which is the capital of the state. We're right in the middle of the state of South Carolina. Um, and, uh, you know, went away to college, went to school in a little place in Virginia called Washington and Lee University, a small little private school up in the mountains of Virginia. Um, was never coming back to Columbia, this little dirt road, one horse town. And then I decided to come back for only six months. And that was like 36 years ago. I added up today. So um, I stayed here, um, raised my family here, and I'm so glad I stayed. It's been a really great place for me. And it's been nice to have have deep roots here in this town. Um, I started off in the banking business and finance. Um, I wasn't great at sitting behind a desk. Got my um, late in, my, in life diagnosed ADHD. Um, got that superpower, um, and then I, I left that to go into commercial real estate because I was never going to make money in banking. And I was in commercial real estate brokerage business for about 11, 12 years. And um, I'd hired a sales coach. I didn't need one. Um, of course, I was great in sales because I knew everybody and could talk to anybody, right? This is the bullshit story we tell ourselves, right? And um, so a friend of mine hired this sales coach. And I was like, you don't need a sales coach. What the hell? You can, you're like me. You can talk to anybody and, and you know, you're, you're great with this. And he said, no, I think I could be better. And that intrigued me. And so I went to go talk to the sales coach. I didn't believe I was going to hire him. I didn't think he could help me. And um, <clears throat> it's interesting, AJ. It was kind of the, the first time that I remember um when i went to go meet him he said you're in the commercial real estate business he said you must be god i bet you're making a million bucks a year and i said no 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 no." he said half a million i said no he said 250 and i said well i hope this year and he said well why not a million and i said well because i'm in columbia south carolina for god's sake and my boss is kind of an asshole and i never get the good leads and da 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 and i looked up and he was giving me the stop sign I said, what? He said, suppose I told you I thought those were excuses. And the first thing that happened was I flashed anger. I'm sure I did. I sure it showed in my face. And then all of a sudden I took a deep breath and I was like, hmm. And he said, where else in your life are you making excuses? And I was like, shit. I was like, I live in a shitty apartment. I said, I'm, my mom says I'm never going to get married because I'm such an asshole and blah, 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 all these things. And I, and I, I wept. I wept in that meeting, ended up writing him a check to help me. The funny part of that story is the check bounced because um, I'm such a fucking loser. And, um, but anyway, so the check bounced, but he kept me anyway. And we worked together very closely for probably three years. And I referred him a bunch of business because he really helped me understand the psychology of sales and about what drives human behavior and also helped me see the for lack of a better word, the hole in my psyche that helped me believe that I wasn't good enough, that I didn't have the confidence and therefore was making excuses about things. And so I went from, um, I worked for a big brokerage company, then went to work for a development company. And I, I, he called me out again for making excuses over something. And I said, you know what, fuck this, I'm going to quit. And so I quit my job at the development company, which where I was a broker, I was on commission. I said, I'm going to start my own because I don't want any more excuses anymore. I want to have nobody to rely on but me because I'm tired of where I keep going. Um, and so anyway, I was a single, you know, one man office do, trying to do some consultative work. And what I figured out was that I was wasting a lot of time with people that ended up not buying. 
And I like to work with buyers. I like to get very involved, do the due diligence for them, do all this stuff before they buy a piece of property. But I find that, you know, many people just would find there are lots of reasons not to buy any piece of property. And I, so I kept getting very frustrated and finally went back to my coach. He said, well, why do you keep doing that? And I said, well, hell, I don't know. And he said, why don't you charge people to take them as clients? I said, that's not the way the business works. He goes, their business or your business? I was like, oh, my business. And so what I, he helped me figure out, he said, why the hell not tell people you charge, making this up, $5,000 to represent them? And he said, so what if the first three or four people tell you no? Right now you're like one for 70. Right. You show people around all the time, but you, you're not closing much business. And so I was like, OK. And um, there's one person. It's funny. And I love her. She's very sweet. But she was starting a, um, a, a salon like a, a, um, it was a fitness center and a salon, that kind of stuff. And um, she had one and she wanted to open a second. And um, I'd worked with her before. She'd gotten right where we're supposed to buy the property. And she said, no, my competitor is going across the street. I don't want to do it. And then we went for uh, six months later. She called and said, let's do it over here on this side of town. We got, we tied a piece of property, did due diligence, ready to close. She goes, no, I can't. My husband's about to get a divorce, so can't do it. All, legi all legitimate reasons, right? In her mind, all legitimate. It was fine. That's what the way the business works. So I had this epiphany. I was tired of getting, using all this time and not getting paid. I was like, my, the engineers are getting paid. The lawyers are getting paid. The architects are getting paid. Why the hell am I not getting paid? So I told her, when she called back, I said, you know, I'd love to help you, but I've changed my business model some. She says, really? Okay, tell me about that. And I said, I charge people to do this, this, and this. And she said, man, I appreciate that. I'm just not in a place where I want to do that. And I said, okay, great. Perfect. And so um, it's funny, 24 hours later, a buddy of mine called and he said, I feel kind of bad. I said, why? He goes, because this person called me and said that they want me to help her with their project. And I know you've been working on it for years. Do you want to work on it with me? Which I thought was very nice of him. And I said, no, thanks. He said, why not? I said, because she's not committed. If she's going to spend a million bucks, but she won't spend 5,000 to get help, she's not committed. And funny enough, five and a half years later, she did buy a building and she bought it without the broker who was working with her. So in the meantime, I found other people who were willing to write me a check. I, the first started with a doctor who I got referred to by a lawyer and he said, I, I need to buy an office building for my practice. I don't have time to devote to this. I don't want to get screwed. I know how all these sharks are in commercial real estate. And he said, I heard that you actually are like do a consulting thing where you can help me and protect me, help me make wise decisions. I'll just write you a check. I'm like, exactly. So we did that. We bought a building six weeks later, which he was thrilled about. He referred me to one of his friends um, who also needed help. And he wrote me a check and I was like, I'm off the races. And all my other people, the people who said that wouldn't work for my competitors, who said, that, why would somebody pay you? We're doing it for free. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Or they'd say, why would you? They wouldn't pay you. I'm like, okay, they are. And I sure as hell wasn't going to tell them my secret. So anyway, I did that. And I, it was a whole different business for me. It took the pressure off of me to go sell an imperfect product. I mean, I'm selling an imperfect product. That was me. And if somebody wrote me a check, so that year... I did it for two years and I closed like six deals out of six the first year. And I closed nine out of 10 the second year. 
and it was great. It was a whole different relationship and I made more money and it was when uh, I got referred to people and I could really differentiate myself from my competitors. And then my sales coach called me one day and he says, I hate to do this to you. I know how well you're doing, but he said, I need somebody to help me grow my business. Will you help me? I want to grow. We're in Columbia now and open one in Charleston and one in Greenville, which are two other cities in, in the state. And um, I need somebody to help me do that. I need somebody who thinks like you do. So I was like, shit, that's great. And so I was able to, amazing how fast you can go out of business. The last person that hadn't bought a piece of property, I offered them the check back uh, to pay him back. And they said, no, you've kind of helped me figure out I don't want anything. You've helped me figure out this is too hard. I need to lease instead of buy. So all the signs pointed and I got into the training and coaching business with my mentor. And it was wonderful. Um, and I, it was so great. And I, I knew the value of what was being provided. I knew how good that shit was. And so I was in it with all my heart. And I, it was funny. It, it's when you, I wasn't very good at it at first. I wasn't very good at selling sales training at first because I knew too much. And because I would, um, I was just stunned that people weren't jumping over buildings to come by for me because of what I knew how great it was. But I, so that was a lesson I had to learn later on. We'll talk about another time. But um, anyway, so I did that for 11 years and we had a freaking killer business. We made lots of money. It was fun. We got lots of recognition. We're part of a national network. But um, somewhere about year nine, I was his exit strategy, right? And he was 10 years older than me. And we're looking at the point where he's like, you know, I'm thinking about retiring, but we never could come to terms on what that would look like. Like anybody, right? He owned it. And so it's worth, you know, a million dollars or $10 million, whatever. And I'm like, shit, I'm the buyer. It's worth, you know, a third of that or, you know, whatever. And so we couldn't come together. And from that point on, it just got to be kind of a shitty relationship. And, um, and it's so funny. I just, I just kept getting madder and more and more mad and more and more mad. And um, I made the decision. I went and talked to my wife and I was like, I'm miserable. I said, I got to get out of here. I can't take this anymore. And she, <laughs> thank God we weren't doing a whole lot of planning at the time. Um, and she's like, all right, we'll get the hell out of there. And so it's funny. I made up my mind. I was um, going to leave. I had a lot of anger and fear because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I went to have lunch with a client of mine and I said, um, and I wasn't going to say anything to him. It wasn't professional. I was going to keep this to myself. We'll let it be a surprise to everybody. And I sat down, he greeted me in a way. It's so funny. If you ever want to mess with somebody, when you see them next time, say, God, you look like shit. And what happened is people are like, what, what? And it messes them up. Well, he did that to me. He took my line, used it on me and I fell for it. Right. And so he said, you look like shit. And I was, and all of a sudden I was just like, Oh my God, I'm miserable. I can't take it anymore. I get the hell out of there. And I just was venting to him. We were good friends. And he said, um, and I made the comment. I said, you know, it's this whole thing. The relationship's gone to hell. It's 50% my fault. And it's 50% his fault. And, da, da, da. and I look up and what do I see? But the damn stop sign again. And I said, what? He said, it's a hundred percent your fault. I said, okay, I know you're right. Tell me why. He said, Walker, if you give somebody else 50% of the, of the blame, you'll be mad at the wrong person. And I was like, shit, you're right. Mm. And all of a sudden I was like, this is 100% my fault. I let the relationship fall apart. And so then when I went to him the next day, to my partner the next day, I could go to him humbly and 
true and truly say, I'm sorry. I've fucked this whole thing up. I've made a mess of it. And the only thing I know to do to make this right is for me to leave. This is your business. I want you to have your business and run your business and find an exit strategy that works for you. I'm not in a place where I can do that. And I could do that with zero anger and with zero um, acting. And that to me was all of a sudden it's like, boom, right here I go. Um, and it just made so much sense taking the excuses away, taking responsibility. And then that's where the rest of my story that you and I talked about was where all of a sudden I quit my job and everybody's like, oh, that's great. Congratulations. We knew you'd move on. Boy, this is great. Boy, but nobody offered me a job. And so I just built a new house, built a house, beautiful house. Uh, my kids were in private school. My wife was, I don't think she was working at the time. It didn't matter. Somebody was going to hire me and pay me lots of money and wasn't going to make a big difference. Well, like 90 days went by and ain't nobody hired me. People like, oh, yeah, great. You'll do fine. People hire you. Nobody freaking hired. And so all of a sudden I got a call from one of my former clients who said, <clears throat> I don't know. I can't afford to hire you but full time, but I hate managing salespeople. Will you do that for me? Will you, I can pay you part time. You do it. You can work other things, too. I was like, that sounds sure. I said, you know, I've never managed a sales team before, right? I said, I, I train people to do that, but I've never done it before. This is not something. And he goes, look, you'll figure it out. You're better than me. So I started that. Another old client I heard I was doing that. He said, will you come do this for me too? And so I did that. And then I had a third, but I sucked at it. I wasn't very good. I didn't have the skills. It was hard for me to <clears throat> do this for three or four companies at one time. And also these were not long-term gigs. These were six months. And so I'd be working along and all of a sudden either things would get better and they could let me go or they'd get worse and they'd let me go. And so I was constantly behind, constantly going, oh shit, I made $12,000 last month. I'm only make $4,000 this month. And I'm like, you know, it just was a, it was hell. And I was miserable and we had to sell our house um, and move to a little rental house about maybe a third of the size. Um, and my family was angry with me and I was angry with myself and I found myself drinking too much and being, um, you know, away from my family. I mean, I was, I was physically around them, but I was distant. And, um, I had this, again, this thing happened again. A friend of mine called and said, why don't you go back into training? I said, well, I've got a, got a non-compete. And he said, well, how much longer? And I said, six months. He goes, okay. He goes, well, it's going to take six months to sign up, you know, get a business together anyway. He said, and I said, well, shout out him material. He goes, Walker, you have got so many stories, so much information. You've got all this shit. You tell me you've got 10,000 hours of material in your head. You used to say that all the time. You can come up with material. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess I can. I said, but you know, I don't have any money. I mean, where the hell would I have an office big enough to train people for God's sake? I, I'm, I'm about broke. And, um, and he said, this is 2016, maybe. He said, have you ever heard of Zoom before? I was like, no. And he said, do virtual training. He said, you can have a wider audience, da, da, da. And I was like, uh. I was like, I don't know, man. He goes, do you see how miserable you are? You've made excuse after excuse. Do you want to be miserable the rest of your freaking life? And I said, no. And so once again, call me out of my excuses. And so I've been off on this path. I started with literally nothing. Um, we made up, um, we were talking, this guy and I were talking, about what should we name it? And I was like, you know, I'm just tired of all the bullshit in sales and the bullshit in business. Why don't we just call this no bullshit sales? And he goes, nope, you can't say that. I said, how about no BS sales? 
And he said, it's gotta be, it's gotta be school or something. I said, all right, no BS sales school. We'll take that. Um, and so we just kind of started with a shitty logo. I think I got on Fiverr. Um, and I had, um, I just started, I was working out one class at a time as I was doing it. And, um, you know, that was, I guess, seven, eight years ago. And we, I went from maybe $500 a month in income the first month. And I think we did, you know, maybe a hundred times that. No, we did about almost $60,000 last month. And, you know, it has been a slog. It's been a fucking slog, slog, slog. And the first three years, and my family's like, what are you doing? You know, what do you, what are you doing? We're living in this freaking rental house. You're having, you know, you're building this business. You're spending all this money on stuff for the business. When are we getting the hell out? When are we going to change our lives? When is this going to get better for us? And God bless them. I mean, thank God um, that they hung around with me. But um, about three years ago, I was able to um, buy a house again, which was great. We we're able to keep my, the decision we made at the time was either sell our house and take the kids out of the school they've been in their whole life the private school, or we could get out of the house and keep the kids in the school. And what we recognized was that the house was for our ego um, and that the school was what was important overall long-term. And so that became a no-brainer. And so we, I still ride by that house we built and, um, and I go, damn, that's a beautiful house. And thank God I don't have a damn giant mortgage payment like I had before. Um, right. So anyway, I've kind of gone on a, on a ramp here, but um, I don't know if my story is normal or not. I think a lot of, um, a lot of people probably had t much tougher stories and had much greater wins. Um, somebody asked, what does it feel like now to be on the other side? And I said, I'm not on the other side. I'm, I'm, this, is a, this is a step along the way. I, I, you know, this, this, is not, this is not success. Um, this is damn good. And I'm really glad to be here, but I'm a long way from being where I want to go. Right. So anyway, Jay, I've, I've, I've uh, taken up a whole lot of time on this. Oh, no. Um, I love it. I love it. I, I was, I was just listening to everything you were saying. I was, I feel like there's so much to unpack in just what you were what, talking about. I think I, I want to go back a little bit to your, your family, your, yeah. you know, and you had mentioned, how old are your kids, by the way? I've got one now that is 21, and I've got one that's 18. So they were young teenagers at the time. Wow, okay. And because um, I'm even trying to think of, you know, if I were their age at the time, and my, you know. They were devastated. Yeah. What they was... were devastated by selling the house. They were like, no, no, no. Right. I mean, I mean, really, it was terrible. It really was. It was as bad as when I told them there was no Santa Claus. So I got this exactly the same response. <laughs> hey, listen, when I found out there was no Santa Claus, I was pretty upset, too. <laughs> uh, I, wanted to I wanted to believe it for so long. All my friends yeah. were like, it's not real. Like, no, it's real. He's real. It's real. My, I told my oldest, we were my oldest son ever come back from hunting. He was like six years old. I thought he'd be 25 if I didn't finally tell him right before he just wasn't going to get it. And I looked at him and I said, son, I got to tell you something about our family that um, it's a good thing, but it may be, make you kind of sad. So he did tell you, he goes, okay, what is that? And I said, uh, I said well, your mom and, and I are, are Santa Claus. And he goes, for everybody? 
podcast. <laughs> I'm like, no, not for everybody. <laughs> sure. I can't wait to tell your mother she's Mrs. Claus. She's going to love that. <laughs> for all the children in the world. Yes. Yep. Hey, man. So I'm busy at Christmas time. <laughs> love it. Uh, no, I, I think, um, I, and, and I mean, obviously kudos to them, you know, your kids and your wife, yeah. I can, I can only imagine how hard that would be. And do, did they, when you first decided to go on this endeavor, were they, yeah. were they supportive immediately or did it yeah. take them? No, they were, they, they, you know, shit, they're young. They don't know what the hell's going on. I mean, they were just want to make sure they were going to be okay. And my oldest son, he, um, for the next five or six years, I had to assure him all the time that it was going to be okay, that we're going to have money and that he won't have to get out of school or he won't. I mean, I had to. And now it's so funny. He, and maybe it would have been this way anyway. He told me he's 21. And I think when he was 16, he said, dad, I'm concerned. I said, why? He goes, I don't have a retirement account. <laughs> so, all right, he was 17. He didn't have a retirement account, and so I said, "Well, I'll tell you, when you turn 18," and so I put some money in his retirement account, and so he and he um, last summer he worked and he made like I don't know six or seven thousand dollars, and damn if he didn't have five thousand dollars in his savings account when he went to college this year. And I looked a little while ago; he still got forty-two hundred dollars in his savings account. Amazing. Oh, wow. So he really, I don't know if it was that event or just the way he's wired, but that's some bitch he's going to have, he may never have an investment in his life, but he'll have a bunch of cash in his, in his yeah. account. Well, I like that he's, he's already thinking about that at a young age, you know, he's already. Yeah. He's heard me talk about the power of compounding and that kind of stuff. And so I guess he took that to heart or maybe he just said, shit, I don't ever want to lose my house like dad did. Right. I mean, whatever it takes, right. Who knows? Well, I think as kids, you know, you learn a lot from your parents. I mean, you learn, you learn a lot of, I always say like what to do and what not to do. You know, yeah. you learn a lot. I mean, even for me, I've learned quite a bit just from my upbringing and, um, you know, I, I, at least for me, it was a little different. You know, we, we moved around a lot from my dad's job and I know that it was hard. We lived overseas for a period of time. Yeah. So it was, it was hard for us to kind of adjust to that. But, um, you know, even my mom was, you know, right by his side and very supportive mm -hmm. through the whole time. And, um, and so, so for you, so you, you had mentioned about your, essentially your mentor, right? Who yeah. 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 My coach at the time. Yeah. My, yeah. My business partner and coach. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, and, and I love that you were talking about how he mentioned he would like stop you when you'd go on your rants and you would say like, Hey, <laughs> you're making excuses, you know, yeah. yep. Did, do you feel like that that's a mindset you take with you to this day when you do yes. you catch yourself in that train of thought and have to like stop and say like, Hey, one of the main tenets that I work with, with my clients is if you really want to change your culture of your company, I'll tell the leader of the company, I said, I want you to give everybody in your company permission that if they hear you making an excuse, I want you to give them permission to call you out on it, no matter who they are. Um, and if they say, you know, those things sound like I can't, they won't, it'll never, this is because all those things. Right. And, and my belief is that when you say things like that, that are absolutes, your brain goes, yep, that's what it is. Right. As opposed to, and I asked them to change their language to say, I haven't figured out how to yet. 
hadn't figured out how to get this person to call me back. Haven't figured out how to get along with my business partner. Hadn't figured out how to make a million dollars doing what we're doing, as opposed to nobody will ever make it in this business, right? Um, and and so give people permission to tell you that, and then get permission to do the same for everybody else. And if you want to talk about a way to change a culture, create that openness where it's not a um, it's expected, right? That you are going to maybe pull them aside, maybe not, and say, hey, suppose I told you I thought that was an excuse. And and you can really, I, I believe, um, here's what I know, when somebody, as you see, I'm an excuse maker from way back. I'm an A-plus excuse maker, and it keeps happening. But the times that my life has pivoted are the times when somebody has given me the stop sign or said, suppose I told you that was an excuse. Right. And so I see that as um, that's the places where I've grown the most. And so I would hope that maybe not everybody sees it that way. I mean, there'll be some that will be defensive, which is the natural reaction. Um, but if you can take a deep breath and realize, shit, they're right. And then work from there and make a change in somebody's life, career, family, whatever. Yeah. And I think I think it's always easier to complain than it is to make a change. Yeah, shit. I, I mean, I personally catch myself in that train of thought sometimes. I mean, so I, I'm also it's easier. Yeah, it is. It is. It's easy to to do that. I mean, I, uh, I we had talked about this before, this off camera, but I, I'm also in sales, and um, the thing with sales, as you know, is very tough. It's um, most of what you make is you, you kind of eat what you kill, right? So yeah, right. So you're not really a salaried employee like mm. most other positions and you have to and when business isn't going the way you would want it to it's easy to just be like oh well my it's the marketplace we're selling stuff too expensive this would never work nobody's buying from us our competitors down the street blah 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 right absolutely and i and i catch myself in those <laughs> those trains of thought sometimes and i have yeah. to bring myself down to reality i say okay and, and what I like to do is I like to look at people around me. Like, who, who are the people around me that are doing better than me? What are they doing? Because they're doing something I'm not doing. Right. So I, I look at that and I, I really observe. So, or I'll ask questions. I think that's an important thing too. So connect with people who are doing better than you. And I know that too. I think one of the hardest things about sales is managing your head between sales. Managing your head between the time when you sold this last one and the time you're selling the next one. And it's, we feel a lot of times if you get it, get it all wrapped up in it the wrong way, um, you put all your value in the sales that you make as opposed to who you are as a person. Um, I'm, one, of the, one of the beliefs that I have about sales and about life, quite frankly, is that some will, some won't, so what, who's next? Some will buy, some won't, so what, who's the next one I need to be talking to? And so it's to keep our emotions out, um, because if we begin to put our emotions, our opinions, our beliefs or on our value about this sale, not only do we put, end up putting pressure on people, it's, it's hero mentality, but also um, you ride this crazy roller coaster. And what I'd rather, I'd, what I teach people to do is not to um, push for a yes, but to ask for a decision. Hey, let's, by the end of this meeting, let's figure out whether or not you should join our club. Is that okay with you? If you're not sure you wanna do it, let's call it a no. And because what we're doing is we're giving, it's professional, 
It's giving our prospect agency to make a decision. What a lot of people want to do is say, if I showed you a way, would you buy, if I, what kind of things would you need to know to sign up today, right? That's bullshit. I don't want to, that's pressure. Then you're taking away somebody's agency as opposed to saying, what are you going to need to know to make a decision? Mm. And let's figure that out. And if you're not sure you want to do this, when we finish today, let's just call it a no. And you know what? If you end up at a no, because somebody wasn't ready, do you know how much easier it is to talk to him a second time? It's a whole lot easier than if you said, you need to do this. You got, you'd be a fool. You told me they're going to run. I just had a guy call me back yesterday and he said, I didn't remember him. Not great guy, but he said, um, he said, last time we talked, he said, if you, he, he said, you told me at the beginning of our call, if you're not thinking, hell yeah, let's do this, let's call it a no. And we got to the end and you remind me of that. And I said, you know, I'm not hell yeah. And you said, great. He said, so I'm calling you back today to tell you I'm hell yeah. How about that? I didn't remember that conversation, but he did. Mm, that's amazing. I mean, that, that, see, that is profound because he, he didn't feel, at least from the way you guided the conversation, he didn't feel pressure. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what? The conversation we had, I see the value in what Walker was talking about. Yeah. He was like, all right, hell yeah, let's do this. You and know? it didn't run him away. And the I, reality was he wasn't ready back then. He hmm. wasn't ready. I tell people that I want you to have a hundred percent belief, hundred percent belief that your health club, right? If somebody were to join your health club, it would be a great experience for them. And they would have, it would be 100% the right thing. I want you to know that from your heart. I also want you to believe just as much that they may not be ready for it. They may not be ready for something like that and, and to respect that. And so you can be confident in what you do. And at the same time, confident that, look, we're not the right fit for everybody and not the right fit every time. And so the last thing the world I want to do is push you into something that may not be the right fit. And so all along, you can ask questions being skeptical. What were you hoping this health club would do for you? Why then? How could you justify spending the money? Right. Right. And, and it's, and so we're like, oh yeah, you kind of trick them. It's not a trick. It's being real. It's just shooting. And if they're waffling, you say, don't do this. Right. Don't and do it, it. Yep. And at the end of the day, people appreciate authenticity. You know, yeah. to your point. They, they don't want to, because I think even uh, <laughs> that most people, when they think like, oh, you're in sales, they're like, oh, like sales. Yeah, you put some kind of ninja shit. I'm going to pressure me. People are natural at sales. It often means in my mind, oh, I'm a natural salesperson. They are. It just means they freaking talk too much. Right. That's right. I mean, that's, that's what it often means is they freaking talk too much. Yeah, that's um, so true. And I mean, and I, I totally agree with that. So for me, it's like uh, when I'm working with someone, I even tell them, I'm like, I don't even like to consider myself a salesperson. I'm just someone who's- It's become you know, a bad name. It has. And I, I work for a brand or a company or a, I sell a product or whatever. Uh, but, you know, I actually, I usually, when I have people in my office, um, and for some listeners who don't know, I work in, um, in uh, fitness. So I do like membership mm-hmm. sales and- um, so when I have people in my office, I, uh, the first thing I ask is like, how can I help you? Like, yeah. cause you clearly are interested. You came in here today, yeah. you, you know, yeah. and, and that way, you know, it's easier for me to learn 
them and their needs. So that way I can actually tailor the experience for them. 100%. And talk about. Yeah. Instead of having, here's our 60 slide deck we go through with everybody. It's, you know, fuck that. Some people may need that, but other, if you ever do a 60 slide deck to me, I'm walking out. I yeah, don't want oh, yeah. that shit. I'm not paying attention or I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking, but I'm throwing out. That's a waste of my time. That is, it is. And so to that point, you know, it's sales is for me, it's about connecting with people. Mm-hmm. And Having somebody trust you enough to give you money to make a problem go away. That's right. That's exactly right. 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 And so yeah. and, and I, I wanted to kind of uh, touch base on, on that a little bit too, about the transition into sales. Do you, do you feel like, you you had mentioned how you're always trying to grow and learn within yeah. just within life in general. Yeah. Do you how how long how how am I trying to ask this question? How long have you been doing just sales for period? But also what are like some of the biggest takeaways that you've found being yeah. within yeah, so I started in sales. I worked when I worked in finance at a bank. I mean, I was out getting deposits and selling loans and all that kind of stuff. So that was when I was 21, maybe. And now I'm 58. So I'm not very good at math, but that's about almost 40 years. Um, and so, I mean, a couple things I learned is that, um, I mean, big picture, um, sales is never about the salesperson. Or it shouldn't be. It's never. And, you know, I was um, was brought up in sales and especially in the commercial real estate business. Um, I, my training consisted of there's the desk. That's the phone. Those are buildings. Go sell some. That was my that was my first thing I was taught. And the second thing I was taught was be the smartest guy in the room, be the biggest asshole in the room. Those was the second part of my training. And so I wasn't ever very good at the first part. But boy, I could be the biggest asshole in the room, right? That whole thing, that didn't work out great for me. Um, But what I've learned is that um, if you ever read a book called Story Brand by Donald Miller? I have not. I highly recommend it. He's got a ton of stuff online. um, And his his shtick, which is great, is that um, obviously everybody talks about how stories are so great in selling. Um, but he really breaks that down and says there that most stories have a similar cast of characters. He said there's often the hero, right? It's the person at the beginning of the story that has a problem that spends the arc of the story going to solve the problem. And then uh, there's often a guide, um, an older, wiser person who you know whispers in the ear of the hero to help them make their journey and to solve the problem. Like Yoda and um, what's his name in Star Wars? Ha, uh, Hans, Han, Luke Skywalker? Luke Skywalker, or- right. Yeah, yeah, Luke Skywalker, right. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, and so um, what we, you know, a lot of people get into sales. And this just, I was reading that book and I was just processing all this stuff. And I was like, wow. I said, a lot of people get into sales to be the hero. The one that comes in, makes it all about them. I'm going to save the day, get the check, ring the bell. Everybody's going to say how great I am. And I'm going to let them know how great I am. And that's a lot of salespeople. What I realized was that's part of what gives us a bad reputation. It also makes us less effective. And so what if instead 
we could be the guide and that our prospect turned client becomes the hero for making the right choice to hire us. And there are a couple things that hit home for me. One, I go, I'm a, <clears throat> I'm a, um, not a very good, but I enjoy trout fishing very much, fly, fly fishing for trout. And I go up with three friends up to Maine every summer um, for a week to go fishing way up in the backwoods. It's just the greatest week ever. No cell phones, no nothing. It's great. And um, the first couple of years up there, we had a guide named Gary. And Gary's this old Maine guide. He'd been around forever. Um, and he was famous. He, people wrote about him in magazines and books. And um, and so we were very lucky to get Gary. And the first couple of years we flew in, let, go in a float plane, land on the lake, right? We stayed in this camp there, which is cool. And Gary met us the first day and he said, okay, glad you guys are here. He said, um, we're leaving for fishing at eight o'clock in the morning. So we did whatever we we're supposed to do, met at eight o'clock in the morning, fished all day. And when Gary would take us, he'd say, all right, this is my lake. He'd go, this is a lake I fish a lot. He goes, we average 56 fish here. He said, so I'm counting on you guys to raise that average. Okay. So we go out and we fish and he'll say, you know, let's go over there. Let's see if we can catch fish over there. If I cast and I miss a fish, he's like, you son of a bitch, you're ruining my, you're ruining my record. And it was kind of funny. And then if I catch a fish, he's like, see, I told you. All right. And so it's went on and on and on through four or five days. And, and then we went back the next year, same thing happened. Love Gary. And then Gary moved on and we had another guy named Pete the third year and we got off the plane and Pete said, Hey, let's talk for a few minutes. You and I have never fished together. He said, um, <clears throat> do y'all like to fish rivers or ponds more? And we're like, there are rivers up here? And he said, yeah, they're great rivers. Like Gary said, there weren't any rivers. He said, that's because Gary hates rivers. Shit, yeah, we want to fish rivers. So Pete takes us to this beautiful river and we start fishing. He's like, all right, let's fish the seam right here. We fish the seam, miss a fish. He's like, it's cool. There's another one. Let's keep going, right? And then if you catch fish, he's like, way to go. You've made it all about us and us having a good time as opposed to his numbers. And so I began to process this. Sales is a lot the same. Is this, you got to buy because I'm not going to make my numbers this quarter if you don't. Or is this, let's see if you're the right one. A guide decides who they work with. They get to choose. They're not, a hero's got to save everybody. A guide works with just the people that they feel like are going to be the right fit. Picture these people that take the Sherpas that take people up Mount Everest. They know that some people are not going to be the right fit for them, for their temperament, the way they're in shape, their whatever, whatever the desires are. They're going to say, I don't want to deal with you. You're going to die or I'm going to die. That's not going to work. I need to pick the ones that are going to work well with me. And then the goal is to get the client to the top of Mount Everest and the client have a picture of the client, not the client and the guide, not the guide going, I got you up here, but the client. Right. And so it's the same in our world. We're not the right fit for everybody. We, are, we need to be very sure about that. We want to make sure we're taking the people that will be most successful with us, the one who will have the best experience with us, not the one that I'll have the best experience with, the one that will have the best experience with us. Now, if somebody's an asshole and I don't want to work with them, I can say, I'm so sorry this won't work out. A guide also asks great questions. They want to find out what's really going on. They're not just there to push their product. They're here to find out, why do you want this? How does it make sense for you to buy this? What happens if you don't? You got lots of other options. Why do you think this one's the right one? Right? So we're, it's a discernment process, a learning process. Also, a guide is on the same level as their prospects, equal business stature. A lot of people, this is a weird thing, and maybe it's just mostly a Southern thing, but um, 
a lot of salespeople put themselves beneath the buyer. It's like I was taught in commercial real estate, the golden rule, he with the gold rules, right? And so if the buyer wants something, then they, that's what they get, right? Buyer's always right. Bullshit, right? We're the same. And it begins as simply as calling everybody by their first name. It's so strange. I was at a conference in Texas last week and there was this guy I was talking to and he came up to me. He's probably a little younger than me, probably 50. And he said, hello, Mr. McKay. I'm so glad to meet you. I said, please call me Walker. He goes, okay, Walker. He goes, you know, I just do that out of respect. And I said, man, I appreciate the respect, but don't do that. And I said, here's the thing. If you call me Mr., you're putting yourself on a lower, whether you know it or not, a lower plane. And I said, so immediately you're lower than me. I said, there's no reason. You should be the same. And he's, and I said, because if somebody calls me and says, oh, Mr. McKay, I know I'm dealing with a chump. Chumps, don't, don't be a chump. And it's funny, the next day I ran into him, he goes, you have changed my life. I said, what? He goes, I never thought about that. He goes, I have been walking around putting myself at a lower level because I thought I was supposed to. He goes, I'm never doing that shit again. And I was like, oh my God, you made my whole trip worthwhile. Something so little as that. And I'll tell you, if you're 22, if you're paying rent or mortgage somewhere and getting a paycheck, everybody's first name. And I know your mother taught you to call people Mr. And Mrs. Good for her. When you're around her, call them Mr. And Mrs. When you're at a cocktail party with your parents, call them whatever you want. In business, it's John or Susan. Sorry, I was on my soapbox for that. I really strongly believe in that. That's that's beautiful. I, that That's great for me, too, even just thinking about that, because I, I'm even trying to think of the times I've used Mr. Mrs. And it, like you said, it it, um, it creates a different dynamic. It's a different dynamic. And then you're stuck there. Right. And and I think even in that scenario, when you said, call me Walker, he probably already felt more relaxed. He probably yeah. was like, this is a real yeah. person. You know, I'm yeah. actually talking. And, you know. and not only that, I told him, I said, if somebody corrects you and says, you know, call me Mr. Smith, they're probably an asshole you don't want to work with. You might as well learn that up front. Yeah. You know, in like movies is like, please call me Mr. You know, whatever. I mean, Mrs. whatever. I mean, <laughs> and you know, people are like, what about doctors? I'm like, I don't know. I got no idea about fucking doctors. I don't yeah, know. Right. Oh, doctor. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. That's another. Whatever. Doc, you call people doctors. That's fine. I mean, I'm a, when I'm a patient, I call them by their first name. Um, and yeah. if they don't like that, then, you know, fuck them. I'll go somewhere else. Um, again, that, that creates a, a, a relationship of, like you said, we're the same. You know, I'm not above you or better than you. Yeah, like, we're the hey, same. Yeah, I just do, you know, just because I do something different in my career or like a title, that doesn't mean that I'm a better human being than you. Yeah, or higher or lower. And if I tell them, if, if you meet Bill Gates, it's, hey, Bill, glad to meet you. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's Bill. I mean, why the hell not, right? If his name's Bill, yeah. call him freaking Bill. I agree. That is his name after all. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I love, I love all that. I, I, um, I wanted to also just talk a little bit too about your, uh, your company. So yeah. yes, sales school. So can you yeah. tell listeners a little bit about yeah. so, what, you, what you offer? Yeah. So I work, um, we kind of focus on three areas. Um, one is, uh, it's at your people's, what are actions? Like, what are you doing? What are your goals and your plan? And what are the things you do on a daily basis to grow your business, right? So that's part of it. And the second part is your attitudes. What do you believe about yourself and your company and your marketplace? Because those are all where excuses are made. 
And then um, we talk about the approach, which is um, kind of the strategy of how you get in front of people, how you get in front of prospects, and then what is the system that you follow, and then what are the tactics that you use. And so when I first start working with, a, well, let's just talk about companies first. I work typically with privately owned, um, owner-owned um, sales teams, typically five to 25 people. They're often spread out over different markets. I've worked with giant companies. I've worked with ones much smaller than that, but kind of my sweet spot's five to 25 people. Um, and we'll first do an evaluation, a benchmarking of their skills as a team and also as individuals. We have a, an assessment that we use that tells us kind of where, what's our starting point and what are the cultural norms here, um, that what people believe, and then what are the things that individuals believe that are helping them or not? So that gives me some idea of how to coach them and the manager ideas of what they're working with. And we figure out who is it that knows what to do, but they're just not doing it. And who is it that doesn't know what to do and therefore is just completely flummoxed? Um, so we kind of help figure that out. And then, um, then we create a training program. And I, I don't believe in, I mean, I've done this before and I tell companies, they say, we want you to come in for a day and teach this. And I'm like, I'll do it. I said, I'm gonna charge you a shit ton of money and it won't work. Um, I said, or we can talk about how to do something that costs about the same amount of money and it will make a change or it should. Um, and that's, I work with companies, I use Zoom now almost all the time. Um, it's about, it's a skill to train over Zoom. It will not be as good as in person, but it's 95% as good we found. And it's, um, I can work with sales teams that are spread out all over the country. Um, and we do training typically once a week for an hour, very interactive, very much role play involved, very much situational involved. Um, and anyway, what we're finding, it's funny, what we find is um, a lot of times people call and say, I've got these people and they suck on my team. Will you fix them? And the answer is no, I won't, right? I'd rather, um, I'd rather have your top guys, the ones that are already crushing it. And if we can get another 25% out of them, that's more fun for me. You'll make a hell of a lot more money and we'll get a whole lot better results, mm -hmm. right? And so... So we figure out who I need to work with. Sometimes it's a whole team. Sometimes it's just the top performers. And we, I, my average length of stay, um, I work with companies typically for three or four years. Um, as we help them hire, we help uh, put systems in place, and we work with the management team to make sure that they are holding people accountable for the right things. Um, work a lot on how do we not look, act, sound, taste, feel like other salespeople. Um, what I show them often is the psychology of selling, and it's often the opposite of what they've been trained in the past, right? The old way is tell them all the features and benefits, tell them how great it is, and then press for a close. And I think you remember we talked about, I know how good my shit is, but I got to figure out what you think good is. And are you committed to fix anything? Are you committed to make any changes? There, there are two questions that a buyer has to answer before they make a change. Um, and the first one is, am I going to do anything? different or differently. And then number two, who will I do that with? Most salespeople skip question number one, just go, Ooh, let me show you how cool my stuff is. Please buy from me. This is great. I'll tell you all the reasons. And what we tell people is slow the hell down. We teach a process that helps the buyer figure out, do I really need to do anything? And if the answer is no, then there's no reason to have two, three, five meetings with them right now.
I believe that prospects world changes every 90 days. I mean, so if you think about today is what? Oh, today's my, my dad, 101st birthday today. Um, anyway, he passed on a couple of years ago, but um, so um, February the 8th now, and, but think about 90 days ago, it was like December the 8th or something close. And think about what you were worried about, thinking about, focused on December the 8th. I was thinking about hunting season. I was thinking about Christmas. I was thinking about end of the year and stuff I had to do. And now it's a whole different I'm thinking about, you know, places I got to go and meetings I got to have and growing the business for 24. And everybody else's world's like that too. And so just because somebody's not ready for us now, perfectly fine because in 12 months or 18 months or 90 days, their world's going to change and I can call them back. And as long as I didn't try and wrestle them to the ground before, be some kind of asshole and force them to tell me yes or whatever, piss them off. I call them back and say, hey, last time we talked, you said everything was great and you weren't ready for a change. My guess is nothing's changed. Because that's the truth. I'm guessing nothing's changed. And if it has, they say, oh, no, well, actually, it's a little bit different now. Be, tell me more about that. And we dig in to find out, is it time right now? Um, and sometimes people immediately think of that as, oh, that's some kind of a voodoo tactic thing. The reality is I'm just telling the truth. And I'm just being direct. And if it's not the right time, I don't care. Some will, some won't. So what? Who's next? I'll move on. You're not hurting my feelings. As I tell most people, the money that you pay me, if you pay me or not, will not, will not let me add or not add cheese to my McDonald's hamburger. I'm going to eat the same thing, whether or not you pay. Now, 10 years ago, it might have been a different thing, right? But right now, if you hire me, that's great. If you don't hire me, I'm still doing okay. So Love that. it's not personal for me. And that's what, um, and I think even if it does matter, you can't make it about that. If that's what you're faith, we if we need to sell more than they need to buy, we're gonna fuck it up. We yeah. get our emotions involved. We get our emotions involved, and then you're reacting instead of thinking, and then nobody wins. I think a desperate salesperson is is. I mean, they're they're a horrible. They're horrible to deal with. People hate it unless they want to completely abuse them. So yeah. Anyway. Because I even I even think about that if I if I'm on the receiving end of that, even even me being in sales, like when people if, if someone is trying to push something on me and I'm just oh. yet, I get very uncomfortable and yeah. I'm just like trying to get the hell out of there. Yeah, get me out of here. Right. And and to that point, it's like so I try to I think empathy is important. Oh you my know, god, you, yes. You can feel it when you can feel that energy from someone, like you mentioned, yeah. it's important. just be like, hey. Okay, no problem. Like, listen. Yeah, let's like, call let's this a no. Yeah. Like, let's just I'll talk close about your file. Exactly. I'll close and your file. I, so, uh, so we're kind of coming up on time here. Um, yeah. I, I did want to ask one more thing, and this is usually how I like to end my my shows. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I. And for, for anyone listening to this, obviously, uh, we've talked about sales as well. But I think with, with your story in particular, it is, it is so profound on how you made that such a transition in your life um, from really just taking a chance on yourself and saying, hey, listen, like, this is not fulfilling me right now. And I want to figure something out that will be fulfilling, even though it has been a hard journey for you. And yeah. there's been a lot of bumps along the way. And I'm sure yeah, there's still. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, um, sure. And I think 
post. Yeah, and I think most people are in a similar position in their lives. They they're at a job that they don't like. They they've been there for years, but it's putting food on the table and they're paying their bills. But they just want to get out. But they they're too afraid to make that step. Yeah. And I think most people live this way. And I, I guess my question for you is, for anyone listening who's in that position, yeah, what are, what are what is something that you would say to kind of help them or maybe nudge them in the direction of making that step? So that here's what I tell people that um, what I did was um, I put my family at risk. No doubt about that. What I did was reckless. Here's what, um, and, and I have, I'm a pull the ripcord kind of guy. That's, that's who I am for better or worse. For most people, they're not able to do that. And I met with a guy, another guy read my article and he called me and I met with him for lunch yesterday and he's in a job that he hates. I call this the 47 year old problem. You turn about 47 years old and you look up and you say, I've been working 25 years roughly. And I thought I'd be in a different place than this. I thought I'd be further along, not working for some chump, not doing this, that and the other. And I'm miserable. And at that point, you make a decision. I'm going to put my head down and work for 18 more years because I can't afford not because the money's good. And I'm just going to do it. Or they say, fuck this. I got to do something else. So for a buddy of mine that I met with yesterday, um, he had this 20 years ago. He had this entrepreneurial idea to um, to make these bartender gloves. Craziest thing where it used to be, you know, pop tops on beers like this. He made a glove with uh, um, an opener on it. He made, and, and he had a patent on it, and his idea was to sell these to the large beer companies who would then give them to bartenders. And long story short, he made some bets on some things in that business, and it all went to shit. They couldn't suppliers, blah, blah, went to hell, and he's been kind of working different jobs ever since then. And we were talking, he's in this job he just hates, it's miserable, and I said, whatever happened to that thing, that side, that thing you had? And he, he started talking about it, he started smiling, blah, 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 he said, I've done these other things, and I said, You've already told me you can't afford to quit the job. Again, don't quit your job, but start that on the side. Work on that on the side and build that up. And maybe one day that can become your main gig. But if you need the insurance, you need to do the stuff, then stay where you are, but do something on the side gives you joy. I got to be honest with you, my, uh, my wife, whom I love, is an exceptional she teaches yoga. She teaches tap. She also does public speaking coaching, and she's excellent. She's done this for CEOs of companies all around. And right now she's in a job that she doesn't love. She's in a corporate job. And she's not doing what she loves to do. And as we have talked, I said, unfortunately for you, we're not in a place where you can pull the ripcord. I was the one that made the reckless mistake. And so you can't be reckless. So sorry, right? I got to it first. And and I said, but what are the things that you love to do? We talked about that. I said, what if we began, what if I helped you do those kind of things, the public speaking training, the other ideas she has for video, things like that. What if we help you do that on the evenings and the weekends? And as we build that thing up, maybe there comes a time where we, you can switch, right? But you have to have the courage to say, I'm going to do, you have to be mad enough at yourself you have to be mad for your situation and say, and I'm going to do something about it, even if it's scary, even if I'm afraid I'm embarrassed myself, even if I might fail. Either you're committed to do it and you do whatever it takes or you're not. 
right? And if you're not, then accept your position and move on. And, and there's just that, but, in, but the difference is commitment. You can have all the desire in the world, but if you're not committed to do it, the hard shit, the stuff that might be embarrassing, the stuff where you might fail, the stuff that it's gonna take longer than you think it's going to. If you're not committed, then just stay where you are because desire, desire, desire with no backup, you're just gonna make yourself miserable, more miserable. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I, and it's true. And I think most people, and I think that's an important message for people because I think the majority of people, they, they have this feeling. They, they say, you know, this is great on paper. I'm making, like you said, I'm making a lot of money. Uh, my parents are happy that I'm doing this. My yeah. friends, and just on paper, everything looks good, but only you know how you feel internally. Yeah. You, and you're the only one that can change that. Or you're, you're really the only one that knows that, you know, because every, everyone could say, oh, that's great. Like, good for you. You're doing great. Yeah. And that's how, that's what happened to you, right? Like, yeah. Like you're, yeah, you're yeah. Like, oh, look at you, Walker. You're, you're doing great, man. You're, you're doing great. Man. I'm not making any money. I'm sucking at this. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you have it. It's a level of commitment. It's willingness to to do something different because we can. Um, and there, this is where your, your, I don't know what it comes up, but your excuses where your victim mentality comes up and says, but you don't have time, but you're not good enough for that. But what if I lose my current job? But what if, but what if, but whatever? And those are all, those are all legit until you say, I can't, I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim. I have a choice. I just have to make a choice and commit to the choice. And if this choice doesn't work out, then I'll make another choice. Right. Um, so, and again, seems easy for me. I've already, I've made, I make choices every day about the stuff that I do. Again, I'm far from where I want to be. I'm part of the journey, but that's part of what I love about being in sales is that it's an opportunity to always make yourself better. Um, oh, I don't do yeah. motivational shit. I don't believe in the rah-rah bullshit, but I do believe that sales is one of those professions where you have the opportunity and often the obligation to continue to grow and grow and grow. Otherwise you get left behind. That's right. Well, I love it, man. Well, thank you, Walker, so much for for joining us today. And, um, you know, your your story is just uh, incredible. And I and oh, definitely there are a lot of gems you dropped. So <laughs> thank you. I love it. I love it. And um, no, I'd, I'd love to reconnect, you know, maybe have you on. For sure. Today, so. Sure. Well, let me do if you don't mind, I'm going to share. I have a podcast as well. We talk about sales strategy. Yeah. Um, and it's the it's called the No BS Sales School podcast. And it's everywhere you listen to podcasts. And they're quick episodes. They're eight to 12 minutes. Stuff you can listen to on the way to the gym or on the way to the office or back. And uh, it's just quick hits, ideas about sales to maybe can help you get an idea to move forward. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, go to NoBSSalesSchool.com or do a search under Walker McKay or anywhere you listen to podcasts and check it out and share it with somebody you need to um, somebody who needs to hear it. And AJ, yeah. thank you so much. You've been a super host. You've been really great. Thanks. Great questions. And it's been fun to be on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Walker. Yes. And, and what I'll do for you is uh, I'll put those in the show notes so people can get can the links. We'll put it for the website and also for the podcast itself. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Walker. And thank you all for listening. And until next time, you sip that tea.